everybody. Welcome to the Royals FC show, episode 21. We are officially of drinking age as a show right now, so that's cool. Um, our hearts hurt for Japan. That sucked. The most important part about this episode, though, is that we have the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Trey Fitzgerald. What's your title exactly? I know it's VP of Broadcasting and PR. VP of Broadcasting and Communications, that is correct, but uh, just happy to be here and excited to talk about anything and everything with regards to RSL, Royals, Monarchs, etc. Sweet. Sweet. Um, so how did, I mean, I know that, you know, people talk about being here from day one and they're not really here from day one. I know you were here from day one, uh, so what's that like being with RSL? for so many years well it's it's been a a wild ride it's been almost 14 years since i moved to utah it was october of 2004 i had been working in major league soccer and trying to help dave checkets and his partners understand what they were getting into when they uh, became the 12th team in the league the first day i came to utah despite growing up in Colorado and New Mexico was the press conference that we had at Rice Eccles Stadium on July, I want to say it was July 13th of 2004, uh, where they made it official that Dave Checkets had uh, bought into the league and was uh, received a charter for an expansion team. And I got stuck here, so Commissioner Garber and I, who I used to work closely with, um, as he went out and tried to recruit new investors and kind of spread the soccer gospel at the time, uh, we got stuck in Salt Lake because of lightning storms on the East Coast. So we went and had a nice dinner downtown and and walked around. Um, I think we went to the bar that is now Gracie's and, and had a had a beverage and we went and saw a movie that night at the gateway. So that was my first impression of Salt Lake other than the 2002 Olympics. And then little did I know that a few months later I would just pick up my life and move here. But my main motivation was to help build something uh, out of thin air. And the idea of having players and coaches and fans and wins and losses and I didn't know that we'd have this many losses as an expansion uh, but in those early days but just being connected to the game uh in a way locally that you just don't have when you're at a league office or a governing body where your your goals are measured in attendance or or tv ratings or sponsorship deals like being here and and hearing Dave's vision of people at Rice Eccles pouring off of the tracks with what would be Real Salt Lake scarves and jerseys and hats and singing and chanting and drumming, like that was the vision uh, that we all bought into. And it's just a super exciting time to look back on. And then six months ago when Deloitte said, hey, we're – we're bringing an NWSL team to Utah. And we said, yeah, that's part of our plan for 2020. And he's like, no, we're doing it 
for 2018 <laughs> and and having to literally shift our focus to that project less than I think it was less than 10 days after RSL was eliminated from the playoffs despite the win over Kansas City late late last year on that last Sunday of, of 2017 season. Um, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. And I'd be remiss if I didn't note that I'm especially honored to be on uh, the Royals show, Royals FC show number 21, because that is Kristen Press's New Jersey number of course. Uh, for us. So fun times all around. That's, that's, so, that's so cool. And I got to say, um, it's awesome to have you on the show, too, because, uh, I mean, maybe this is just me, but at least, you know, I know Jake a bit, you know, and talk, listening to the RSL show, it's sort of become abundantly clear that, you know, Trey Fitzgerald is not only Wiki Trey, but, you know, he's rooted in the community. You know, you, in a large sense, are RSL, the organization. So that's just super cool to have you on. Um, so what was that like, I guess, in terms of activity? Was it like, a, I guess, in terms of knowing that the Royals or, you know, Kansas City was moving to Utah, did Deloitte just call you and be like, hey, we got all this going on? Or how did, I guess, how quick did that happen? So it was, so our season ended, RSL season ended, I think it was October 22nd last year. We had a press conference a week later to announce Mike Pecky's contract extension. Uh, we did that downtown. And then I think it was the next day, Deloitte got a call from Merritt Paulson up in Portland. And Merritt and Deloitte have become uh, close friends because they, they do share a vision for what soccer should be in this country and how quickly it can get there through MLS and infrastructure and facilities and fans, etc. And basically Merritt said, Deloitte, you guys know how to run a team. You know how to fill a stadium. So uh, the NWSL is having some problems. Uh, those problems were later identified as, I guess, Boston and Kansas City. And he said, the NWSL needs you. And that was, I think, November 1st. And I think I got a call from my boss, who's Andy Carroll, our chief business officer. And he said, hey, Deloitte wants us all uh, to get on a conference call with U.S. soccer you know, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. or whatever. So we do that in our conference room. And that was the beginning of less than two weeks of kind of exploratory due diligence, where we talked to the Federation we uh, ended up five or six of us getting in a plane and going up to Portland and meeting with the combined thorns and timber staff and just really trying to wrap our brains around how is NWSL different than MLS? How can two teams coexist in the same market, maybe even in the same stadium? And then what are the long-term uh, prospects uh, for the league, because obviously I think we had a, a very, this group of ours at RSL had, a, I don't think we had anybody that was really a dyed in the wool NWSL fan, but you know, we, we had had us women's national team games that we've been involved in. Uh, 
some of us had been at, to a women's world cup or whatever. And we knew the big names and the big stars and, you know, from a arm's length level. Uh, but I don't think we really knew, uh, what was happening in the league, either above or below the surface. So after two weeks of that, and after we went to Portland a couple days later, uh, we went to New York and met with, uh, the A and E networks, which had bought into the league and become 50% owners about a year ago, uh, at that time. And it was just fascinating to, to see and hear their vision, uh, for where they thought the league could go. And certainly Deloitte, because of his daughters who played high school and college soccer up in Cash Valley, uh, because of seeing the fans that come to Rio Tinto Stadium for RSL and Monarchs the last three years, he really believed that we could be a flagship franchise in the NWSL and kind of fly that flag for for women's soccer. And so November 16th, we have that uh, press conference at Rio Tinto Stadium announcing uh, that we would have a team in the 2018 season. And then a couple days later, it was announced that Kansas City ceased operations and we would inherit their roster. Um, you know, then we go into the January draft, which involved 10 teams because Boston was still viable at that time. And mm-hmm. quickly after that draft, Boston uh, went away. So you had the dispersal draft. And in the meantime, we hired Laura Harvey and we traded for Kelly O'Hara and uh, there was just so much happening. It was all very, very exciting, obviously. And, you know, we spent four months promoting that August or sorry, April 14th uh, inaugural game and so proud to get 19,000 out there. Uh, but, you know, now we're still learning lessons and tweaking and, and trying to figure out while we're proud of our uh, non opener average of over 8,000, like we want to fill that stadium every day and, you know, I think we're confident we'll get there. It's how quickly can we make that happen? That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, so you being in charge of communications, so that means you're in charge of communications for obviously RSL, the Monarchs, the Royals. Is that right? That is correct. And the Academy and uh, even non-soccer events that come through both facilities uh, I have the opportunity to be involved in. That's so. I, I hope this isn't too intrusive, then. But like, so working for Real Salt Lake, what's it like to just like wake up? I guess what's sort of. I mean, obviously, there's not like a typical day agenda, but what does <laughs> like what does a day at the office, I guess, look like for you? Would you be willing to walk so, us through that? Yeah, every day is different, and that's the, that's the exciting part of working in sports is that, and certainly working on the communication side as social media and digital media and mainstream media all have uh, changed and evolved over the last few years. But um, I guess let's starting with the typical week. Let's say you have a game on Saturday. Um, Because we have so many games and so many teams now, typically what we do is we – if we have a Saturday game, uh, we try to adhere to the team schedule. So we've started giving uh, people Mondays off because typically Mike Becky gives 
his players off on Mondays uh, as kind of a chance to recharge and uh, regenerate uh, those batteries after uh, a typical game day, which is often a 12 or 14 hour day. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, depending what all is happening, um, you know, Sundays in Utah, we can generally relax a little bit, but we do have on the communication side four TV stations that that look for Sunday night guests, and so sometimes we you know try to take advantage of that. Um, probably less so more uh, now than we used to because. As you guys have noticed with our digital team, we've tried to become our own television station in many ways, our own printing press um, as sports media changes. And as everything becomes real time and instantaneous, we're trying to always uh, have facts and figures and videos and sound bites and highlights and everything at our fans' fingertips through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or our website, which is the hub where all that resides, but we certainly want to service uh, external media like yourselves and RSL Soapbox and the Trib and the D News and TV and radio outlets and, and national media. So uh, a typical day, there is no such thing, but we try to build everything around either the game schedule or the practice schedule, which is generally, you know, a 10 or 11 o'clock practice that lasts 90 minutes players' media availability, coaches' media availability is post-practice. Um, as you guys now know, you know Mike Becky does the weekly show with Brian Dunseth on KSL, so uh, we're involved heavily in that. And you know, then every day is something, you know, we sign a new sponsor deal or an academy player gets called in, into a youth national team. Uh, those are the things that are exciting and come along uh, unpredictably at times. And sometimes you're able to get a heads up uh, from a federation or a team about something that's happening in the future. And you kind of integrate it into your weekly or monthly plan. But uh, a lot of times we have to be very quick on our feet. You know, if somebody uh, goes down at practice or David Horse goes down uh, and does his Achilles in a Monarchs game, that requires uh, real-time uh, reaction, but hopefully you have a club philosophy that uh, and a protocol that uh, makes those things a little easier to deal with and a little less crisis-oriented. Adding the Royals this year, so we have dedicated PR and digital staff to each team. Um, so Laura Harvey, for instance, has a different, slightly different philosophy so the royals generally get wednesdays off and it's a typical week so they play a game on saturday they do regen on sunday they train monday tuesday off wednesday train thursday train friday game saturday and obviously these schedules all get tweaked as they as they are right now because of midweek games or friday night games or uh back to back to back when you have three games in eight days Maybe the players get an extra day off or a travel day. Uh, maybe there's just a walk and stretch on a travel day and not a full training session. There's no weights. Uh, maybe they do video instead. When the weather gets super hot, like it did a couple weeks ago, that also adjusts things. So our team uh, on the business side needs to be ready um, 
to to adjust when to make players and coaches available based on all of those factors. But the biggest thing that I want to impress upon everybody is I, I think just about everybody that works for the organization is a fan at some level. Um, I joke with people, I'm an MLS snob, so don't talk to me about the EPL. I don't know a lot about, uh, I don't know Chelsea's uh, third center back. I really don't, and <laughs> I don't care. I love MLS. I, I, I am now a self-proclaimed NWSL proselytizer, as, as you can see in my Twitter bio. <laughs> and and I really believe that uh, Laura Harvey and Craig Weibel and Deloitte Hansen have helped assemble the most talented team in the NWSL with 12 internationals, uh, making the Kristen Press trade, getting Sam Johnson in that trade, I think is phenomenal. And Laura Harvey's the best coach in women's soccer. So um, we are really excited going into the final 10 games of the season and making that playoff push. Uh, I just am so happy every day to be able to come to work and try to figure out uh, new ways to help those people tell their stories. That is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Um, so another question for you is, so when you're like going after players, are, are you involved in that? Are you part of the communication to someone's agent that like, hey, we'd like to talk to you? Or is there, how, how does that, how does that look? I guess, what does that look like? Yeah, generally, no, not, not on the front side. Uh, that is handled you know, by our by our scouts or our technical director, or our general manager, because I'm I'm old and I've been around a long time, and I know occasionally I'll I'll help connect an agent or a player, uh, but that's that's becoming increasingly rare. And as I'm more removed from my role at the league office, where maybe I used to have uh, more of those types of contacts. Um, it's just, you know, it's been fascinating. Soccer is a small world, right? So players that maybe used to play for, uh, the teams in the league when I was there are now moving into coaching or scouting or GM positions on both the NWSL and MLS side. So it's fun to, to see those people and, and cross paths with them again. That's cool. That's cool. Sorry, Ryan. I'm, do you have any questions? No, I'm just enjoying the ride. Um, you know, I just i I think it's great that you know. I mean, obviously, like you've said, we we got into it a lot sooner than we were all expecting, bringing the Royals in. But I, I kind of ended up where I'm at and my level of involvement because I I saw that you know that that disconnect between the the women's national team being so successful and being three-time world cup winners and then the kind of lack of awareness even of the women's game domestically and at the club level so um the fact that we've not only been able to bring a team in but you know it's one thing to say you know an organization like rsl can do it well but we've gone i think so far above maybe even what anybody would have expected which i just think is great yeah, and I think internally we talk a lot about, you know, working with Deloitte, you have to be ready to go from zero to 100. <laughs> and, and and we've done that on the Royals side. I think we're still drinking from the fire hose a little bit to, to throw another metaphor into the mix. But 
as I alluded to earlier, when you have Laura Harvey and Becky Sauerbrunn and Kelly O'Hara and now Kristen Press and Gunny and uh, Katie Bowen, who's been fantastic last, last couple oh, games yeah. at right back, um, Katie Stengel coming on, like our whole roster. And, and it's so much fun to, to be able to, to get to know these players as people. Um, like Becca Moros is one of the smartest people I've ever met. She has a, a side business, um, that is soccer oriented, you know, just every player has a great story. And I, there's days where I come home and I'm like, I really wish I had more hours in the day to kind of learn some of the nuance of some of these people's paths or their stories or what motivates we could tell those uh, tell those stories external and I know we'll get there because you can't do everything in your first uh, 14 games of existence but uh, we're trying and and again I, I go back to Laura Harvey just listening to her and and her philosophy of the sport and coming from um, Arsenal to Seattle to, to Salt Lake. It's, I could listen to her tell stories all day long. So how many, I guess, how many people work in that communication department? So, you know, we used to only have two or three people on the PR and digital. Um, as you guys know, with Tyler Gibbons and his top, um, we really expect and in the last probably three years, what we are able to do from a video standpoint, from an in-house photography standpoint, um, you know, Matt Gash is kind of the lead PR guy for RSL, Carla Haslam with the Royals, Taryn Meyer, who was a game day intern and then an office intern for us while he was playing college soccer, is now the Monarchs PR person, so... We just have so many talented people, and we do have some dedic- some people that are really primarily focused on each team, and then you have a couple other people uh, that that cross pollinate, if you will, from Riot to Zebra, from Royals to RSL uh, to Monarchs, depending on what the day or what the week calls for, because I think. What gets lost, and I've, I'm certainly on my soapbox internally, um, the ticket people worry about home games. The sponsorship people worry about home games. Um, a lot of departments only have to worry about home games, but the PR and digital staff is the only group beside the technical staff that has to worry about road games and road broadcasts and social media for our fans and just telling those stories. And as you can see this year, we've ended up with a lot of Saturdays where we go Royals are on the road at 5 o'clock and RSL is at home at 8. And then, you know, where do the Monarchs fit into the puzzle? So um, it's it's fascinating and it's, it's challenging at times. But all in all, I think we're all such fans at heart that it's much more exciting than it is um, frustrating. I mean, I think it'd be so hard to do the job if you weren't a fan at heart, and that's got to be the best thing. Yeah, I mean, I I complain. You guys have seen me on Twitter when I get frazzled, <laughs> and we have 
<laughs> we have uh, seven games in a week, but you know, you get a game like the other night where you have three goals in 28 minutes and, or you have the Monarchs uh, clear at the top of the table with games in hand. Uh, those are the things that keep us going. And, um, you know, what I try to do internally is, is try to help my staff get those extra days off where I can have them recharge their batteries so that, so that they are at their best. Because, you know, we're going to get through these fireworks games in the summer and some long road trips for each team. And then, you know, then it's the playoff push. And that's, that's the best time to be uh, a sports fan or to, or to work for a team or a club is when everybody's chasing uh, hardware. So I think that's, that's what keeps us going despite, uh, you know, the minor minutia that can sometimes wear you down. I love it. I love it. Um, Ryan, do you have anything else? I, I don't. <laughs> All right, no worries. I figure we jump into some of these questions um, because obviously, Trey, you're being a fan, and some of these questions and comments are about fan culture. So while we uh, okay. have you, sure. may as well talk about those a little bit. Um, so let's see. So the first question from from Chris Niles. Thanks. Chris actually sent an email. That was cool. We've had two long emails, so shout out to those people. Um, so there's more to it, but really condensed down. Um, Chris wonders uh, that given the LaRue situation and the Heather O'Reilly situation, I appreciate the fact that the new club in town wants to do right by players and is willing to make some moves to help those players get into the preferred location. I think it builds some goodwill in the league rather than playing hardball with everyone right out the gate. On the other hand, looking at how the trade went down to move press, I wonder if we could have gotten more for LaRue if we waited a bit. Are the Royals better off uh, in the long term by being less heavy-handed when dealing with players who would prefer to play somewhere else, or should they just let them go? It's an interesting question, and and those are complicated situations, and I can't draw any broad generalizations from Sydney to Kristen to Heather. But um, with Sydney, we really didn't have a lot of leverage. You know, <laughs> she had a kid. And Dom is in Orlando and she decided she wanted to be in Orlando. And because of that, the pride didn't have to give up much and didn't, and knew that. And, you know, Sydney and Laura have a history of, of coaching and competing together and then, you, you know, being traded. And that's the hard thing about this league is that, you know, we wanted to do right by Sydney. Orlando, on the surface, wanted to do right, but they also knew that they didn't have to do much. Mm -hmm. um, with regards to uh, Heather, I I remember Heather uh, at her level from several years ago. I don't know how great she is or will be or can be now. Um, and you know, the problem is too, like, we'd all love to have Heather O'Reilly here because of who she is, but you know, I think Laura has to make the decision, uh, can she still play? Does she fit in with what we're trying to do? Can she contribute? And ultimately Heather wanted to be in North Carolina, you know? So we think that Mackenzie Doniak could be 
a really promising young player in the future, which is probably good for us based on the, the draft picks that we gave up to make the Kristen Press deal happen. So, um, you know, and I know Kristen still takes a lot of, a lot of flack on, on Twitter and on social from Houston fans and, and to a lesser extent from Chicago fans, but hearing her speak from the heart about how she believes this club has elevated the league and the sport of women's soccer and how that can elevate her game as she kind of gets into the next phase of her career is inspiring. And for her to actually express frustration that she may have to miss an NWSL game because, um, Jill is calling a camp early, um, as we experienced, you know, a few weeks ago with Abby and Becky and A Rod uh, missing the Sky Blue game on the road. Uh, I guess that was beginning of June. Um, that's so encouraging to me that Kristen already feels within a week that kind of bond with our fans and our badge and our colors. So um, hopefully she's here, you know, for years and years and. I guess from a club philosophy standpoint to answer the question, you know, when we have to make salary cap moves and, and we did it, I think it was 20 uh, between the 2012 and 2013 season. And remember how agitated everybody was that we were getting rid of Hamas and Alave, Will Johnson and Fabian Espindola all at once. And, you know, with Will Johnson, uh, Garth, wanted to do right by him and felt like we owed him that. And he was able to pick, I mean, I think there were three teams that were interested in him. And I think one of them, uh, we said, absolutely not. We're not sending you there, uh, but <laughs> pick one of the other two. And that's what we did. So I think, you know, players talk to each other. That's how the best information regarding um, a club culture gets around is through fans and through players. And Kristen talked a lot about it. You know, she went into camp and then they, the national team came here and Kelly and Becky and A-Rod and, and, and the teams that had come through here as opponents all told her what was happening at Rio Tinto Stadium from the locker room to the ropes, to the fans, to the games, all that, um, to the facility, um, to you know, Deloitte getting down on one knee and she says she didn't really know quite what was happening uh, as she walked <laughs> off the field that night. But, um, you know, that all adds to, to the, to the fabric. And, um, you know, we haven't been perfect. Obviously every, every move is a potential mistake depending how hindsight uh, looks back and how history, I guess, evolves. But, um, I think this club always tries to do right by the players. And I think there are cases where maybe we've made mistakes and uh, we've. I think that another reason why, you know, players are allowed to go at least in the NWSL is because there's a lot, you know, players and coaches and just people are a lot more close knit. And I think also in this league, you know, it's not like Europe where your best players are making $23,000 a year. I mean, sorry, $23,000 a week. Because if we're being honest, and this was the men's game, and, you know, the NWSL is the same skill level as the Premier League, as the Bundesliga, as the Liga. There's just a different gender involved. Um, you know, people like Amy Rodriguez, people like Kristen Press, would be those people on $40,000 a week. But instead, you know... Um, 
those folks, obviously they're national team players, it's different, but because the way the league's structured and, you know, the starting salary is $15,000, I think that there's kind of an understanding of, yeah, we'll let you go, you know, uh, you're sacrificing things to play in this league where you might be able to make more money doing another job with your degree. Would you say that has some truth to it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we saw that earlier this year with EJ Proctor. She's somebody that I think we wanted to be part of the organization for a long time, but as a practice player and not really getting a salary and she gets offered a job opportunity in the quote unquote real world, that's a tough decision. And I know there've been players all over the league the last couple of years that have gone through that. And hopefully the salary cap continues to rise uh, at the rate it has the last couple off seasons to where fewer and fewer players have to face uh, that type of decision. Cause that's, that's just tough. You know, you're trying to chase a dream and play a, a game that you love. And sometimes you have to remind yourself that it is a game and uh, but you know, business reality smacks you in the face. So um, I think that in the, the, uh, the flip side of that is that, if you are somebody like, let's take Abby Smith, for example, who has been, I think, phenomenal. She's on the cusp of, of going from being an NWSL, let's say, above average goalkeeper to being a consistent contributor to the U.S. national team pool. That will drastically change her personal compensation on the, on the contract, as well as endorsement opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we as a club want to do everything we can to help her make that leap. But, it, I mean, it's selfish for us too, right? If we can say, hey, not only do we have Becky Sauerbrunn, U.S. national team captain, and Kristen Press, 44 goals in 100 U.S. games, and Kelly O'Hara, the best attacking outside back in the world, uh, we've got A-Rod, legendary. We've got Abby Smith, you know. So it, it's all, I guess, very symbiotic when you look at it that way. And, and certainly when you look at the NWSL salary cap, it's better than it was a year ago and two years ago. It's still not where anybody wants it to be. And Deloitte, to his credit, is a leader in those uh, Board of Governors meetings and those ownership meetings where – the league is is maybe not managing any more just for survival, but managing um, on a five year on a ten year plan in order to not only maximize revenue but um, exponentially increase growth and footprint and all those things. Now, the hard part of that, me having seen it in the MLS side, is we're going to lose players we love to expansion drafts every year. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was one of the most frustrating things for Jason Christ when he was our coach that, you know, we would lose somebody to Seattle and then Portland and then Vancouver. And then like every year there was an expansion draft. We had to trade Chris Seitz literally during our celebration from MLS cup 2009 to Philadelphia in order to keep them from drafting, um, you know, somebody that that was a starter on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are the kind of going back to the previous question about about doing what's right 
for the player, uh, you know, you have to do what's right for the organization. You have to do what's right for the player. And every player has different uh, circumstances and situations. So every it's everything has to be looked at on a case by case basis. And, and certainly, you know, you have your organizational philosophies, but then sometimes you have to kind of throw that out the window and say, okay, at this moment in time, this is what's best, either because we think it can help us win a championship in three months or because we just, this player's given us a lot. We have to do right uh, by him or her. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's fun for us as, as fans to talk about. And unfortunately, you know, and, and certainly I think more gets out now in the age of social media than, than it might have five years ago. But there, there does tend to be a lot of speculation about why somebody is in or out or moving or whatever. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's baseless or it's hearsay and there's incomplete information that everybody draws uh, conclusions from that, that aren't fair either to the individual or to the club. Um, that's a simultaneously frustrating and exciting part of my job is we try to be very open and honest and accessible, but there's just some things you just can't share either out of taste or out of, uh, legal reasons or, you know, there's just certain things that you, that you can't, you can't divulge. Definitely understandable. Definitely understandable. So going back and, um, so a question I have for you is, so it seems like the NWSL, you know, obviously it's a very fragile league. And there's a trade-off between, I think, you look at, you know, the salary that a lot of players make in this league. And I, I, I don't think anyone says, like, yeah, we want to, you know, pay a lot of these players as much as possible where, you know, they're working multiple jobs and then going to a practice. But I guess how do you, you solve this trade-off between wanting to – and obviously this is not as much an issue for, you know, the RSL organization, but the trade-off between wanting to – give players more of a living wage and, you know, not risking collapsing as an institution like, you know, the breakers or, you know, the flash, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that's where, uh, Deloitte is really providing, um, sorry, providing that Deloitte is, trying to help some of these other owners that maybe aren't quite as uh, deep pocketed as him and are really, or don't have the infrastructure um, enterprise wide, like we do, um, but trying to help them identify opportunities in their market, either philosophically or real opportunities in their backyard that can um, help the players have a better situation while reducing uh, the cost load, if you will, on the individual owner. And, and again, there's no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet overnight that's going to solve some of these problems. So Do you- that's, that's the dilemma. That's the fun part. That's what, that's what he and his fellow owners and um, the Board of Governors are, are trying to figure out. Hmm. Um. Oh, shoot. I, I had a question, and then I spaced it. <laughs> um, Ryan, do you have anything you want to throw in on that? Um, 
Well, no, not really. <laughs> no worries. So we'll ask you this one, because a bunch of people have asked this one, and I know that um, this was a, a common, you know, going back and forth between the capo stand and the folks who, this rotating cast of drummers. I think the drums are really cool, and I know a lot of other fans do too, but it's frustrating when, obviously, you know, like the shot chant is what happens on corner kicks, and fans can't do that chant when, you know... Well, there's constant drumming. That. Yeah, yeah. Like, I th- I think we need to figure out how to get the capos and the and the drum line to to coordinate and to cooperate. And that again, we're we've had what six home games, seven right. now, yeah. three, one and three. So that takes a little bit of time. But you know, again, we've got um, we've got new people kind of running our games for the Royals um, uh, on the game presentation side. So. I think there's some moving pieces and it's a lot of new. So um, we just have to, and like we've seen it with our fan groups too over the years, the, the level of cooperation increases every game and every year. And I think that needs to happen on the Royals side as well. My personal philosophy, so you guys know, is that is that I would like the drummers and the capos to work it out amongst themselves. I don't believe the front office should, should get super involved with telling supporter groups and and other kind of fan base entities how to behave i think it's a slippery slope and i think it's inauthentic now i'm not naive enough to think that sometimes we don't have to at least help create the the dialogue so that everybody can get in a room and and figure out what's best but i mean this is this is natural when you're growing and especially when you're growing fast uh, or growing quickly um you have these kind of growing pains and that's that's sort of how i look at it um i'm very very optimistic that it can be solved relatively quickly and easily and for the benefit you know positive benefit of the stadium atmosphere oh i i agree with that too i guess the question is is because there's this sort of rotating cast, like mm. if there were cooperation in say like a guide to be set up, I guess, yep. who do like folks talk to? Because it seems like there's different people every time. Is yeah, question. I think, I think there's a, there's a person on our game day presentation staff named Molly Arnold that oversees the Royals. She would be the right contact to coordinate, uh, the desired results with. Okay, perfect. Yeah, cool. that, that was just the question. Because, I mean, the, the drums are awesome, but having yeah. some sort of synchronization would be preferred. Sure. Cool, cool. Um, let's see. So, in terms of, so obviously, we have, we're averaging about 8,000 people a game, which is phenomenal. We had 19,000. It's, it's closer to 10 if you include the opener. But yeah, (laughs) that's fair. (laughs) Um, But so I guess being in that communication department, I know this is, you know, a very nuanced answer to this question, but I guess how do you get people to keep coming back? Yeah, I think right now we do have a lot of that same. That's our core. I would say we have 5000 season ticket holders um, and another, let's say, two to three thousand that 
are very hyper aware of what is happening with the Royals. So I would say that's our core audience right now. Um, I do think attendance might tick up a little bit during the summer because you'll get more groups. Uh, you know, we've got Kristen Press. We've scored three goals the other night. So that word of mouth, um, which is the best type of marketing, will pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would try to encourage everybody that has a Royal season ticket or comes regularly or has a mini plan or whatever. Cause I mean, literally you can get the remaining five games, I think for 50 bucks Oh yeah, uh, to start. So how do you, you know, I would encourage people to try to recruit a friend. Cause I think taking your see your, your most loyal customers and having them giving them the tools to be your ambassadors. Cause we need to just attract more new fans to soccer period and to women's soccer specifically um, if we're going to be Portland soon. You know, Portland's got 40 years of, of history um, dating back to Clive Charles and, and the Portland Pilots days uh, building that program. So they have a, a, a much, uh, they have much more, I guess, uh, depth or roots, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Uh, when it comes to the sport in their community. And we do too. Like Annie Hawkins uh, works as hard as anybody I know to promote uh, women's soccer and how the sport can be a bridge to so many things, whether it's teamwork or self-esteem. And, you know, our RSL foundation just had a three-day event out in Harriman last week for um, – girls i think eight to 18 uh, a series of workshops and kelly o'hara helped spearhead that you're going to see some stuff with the players tribune uh, that was embedded with her throughout that so uh, there's a lot of fun things that are happening but the best way to to get our attendance to keep growing is for everybody that cares to try to bring somebody new to each game and i think if our ticket office um, whether it's the season ticket salespeople or the group ticket people, um, will definitely, and certainly the communications department will, will, will help make make it worth everybody's while to, to help get new fans out there. And, you know, I think from the media standpoint too, if, if you want to see KSL for existence, for example, or Fox 13 do more with the Royals, like we need to let them know that, um, that they need, um, that they need to be there. And that comes from viewer or listener pressure. So it's all collaborative. And again, it's a, it's all a very slow burn. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of awesome ways to get to games too. Cause like, I know me for a fact, being the broke college student that I am, um, you know, being able to take advantage of that season ticket offer for $60, like, yeah, I, I would not be, I would not be a season ticket holder if it weren't for that because I wouldn't be able to afford it. And I know the same about other people. So folks who are listening, like, there's a lot of great things that are being done to get out there. So you know, keep telling your friends, keep telling your family, um, because it honestly is so fun. There's a vibe at NWSL games that's very different than MLS games, and I love it. It's fantastic. Ryan, do you have anything you want to add on that? Uh, just, I mean, I agree, you know, that's, that's one of the things I noticed right from the, from the first game, 
you know, I've, I've sat in the same seats for RSL for eight years now, and I got the exact same seats for Royals games because I, I like where I sit. I like that view of the field, and I'm comfortable there. And I, I kind of expected maybe in a way to walk into that, that home opener for the Royals and just feel like, oh, this is another game at the Riot. I know how this goes. And it was a completely different, I mean, same, close to the same number of people, but felt very different. It's, it's a different kind of crowd. Um, they bring a different energy. And, um, and you know, I think Trey's exactly right, though, is that it, it's kind of on us to, um, to share that and say, you know, come see what you're missing um, and get more people there. Because I think once they're there, they'll see how fun it is. I mean, Virgil, you've said, you know, your girlfriend didn't like want to go to soccer at all, but you took her and now she loves it. So, um, we just have a lot of work to do for sure. For sure. <laughs> all right. Well, I think, you know, I don't mean to put it off on anybody else. I think we want to hear from you guys and from the fans about things that we should be doing in the community, things that we should be doing with our media, things that, you want to see in the stadium to help enhance the experience because at the end of the day, that's very much what we're all about. And while there are certain things that are out of our control, like if there's an accident at 9,000 South and I-15 an hour before the game, that still negatively impacts uh, people's experience going to the game. So, um, you know, Deloy Hansen has been very, very clear with all of us that, and that's why there's that, huge screen and that's why there's some parking lots that didn't exist a few years ago and you know every day we're trying to figure out ways to make uh the game day experience uh richer and it's that way it's not all about just wins and losses obviously when a team is winning it makes everything easier for everybody but um i don't know of any organization in the history of professional sports that um has been able to to withstand uh, extended losing. So there are organizations like the Denver Broncos or the San Antonio Spurs or now the New England Patriots, uh, um, certainly Manchester United, if you want to go that route, um, that that win a lot more than they lose. And so uh, the key is on the competitive side to try to minimize those down years, minimize those dips. And I think despite the frustration – of uh of 2015 and, and 2017 um i think rsl's generally been been pretty good at that for the last decade and, and hopefully we can continue that uh with the royals and and the monarchs as well 100 percent, 100 percent. all right trey we've taken up almost an hour of your time uh and you're obviously incredibly busy is there anything else you want to end with before you cut you loose no i i think you know i just want to end end with how appreciative i think the organization is of uh, how quickly everyone in our community has accepted the Royals um, and um, everything we stand for. Uh, you know, having Pride Month be as successful as it was for the first time in our organization's history uh, is going to uh, pay dividends in our community for for years and for generations. And um, I think if you had told me that with 10 games left in the season that we'd be one point out of a playoff spot and right in the thick of, of one of the final three spots battling with six other 
teams. I think we all would have taken it in a heartbeat. And uh, I'm very, very confident that, that Laura Harvey is going to have this team peaking at the right time. And I mean, we've gotten results in 11 out of 14 games. That's, that's pretty amazing for, I call it an expansion franchise. That's probably not true because we did inherit kind of a core group of players uh, from Kansas City, which I think is down to 12 now with Brooke LB going to Chicago. But, um, you know, like I've said, when you've got Abby Smith and Becky Sauerbrunn and Rachel Corsi and Desiree Scott and Gunny and Diana Matheson and Kristen Press and Kelly O'Hara and the list goes on and on, uh, internationals from seven different countries. Um, we're pretty, we're pretty excited and we're very, very bullish about the Royals future. So it's just a big thank you to everybody that's supported the, the club's, uh, initiative into the NWSL, whether it's through social media, whether it's through uh, viewership on the KSL stream or, or KMYU or, uh, coming out to Rio Tinto. And we know, we know, Oh, it's a lot to ask of our market because a lot of soccer fans want to go to every RSL or Royals games, but it, it, it can be difficult to dedicate every one of your Saturday nights to, to coming down to Sandy. So um, I think the, the market's response to the Royals has exceeded our expectations. So we just, we're very appreciative of that. You're more than welcome, and I'm sure you know everyone who listens to the show feels the same way. All right, Trey, thank you so much for being on. It's been cool to talk to you. I know we've followed each other on Twitter for a while, but I don't, you know, make it down as All much right, as guys. people like Lucas do. But thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you, and uh, maybe we'll we'll get to have Laura or one of the players on one of these days too. Yeah, that Sweet. that would be fantastic. All right, hey, okay. You are the man, Trey. Take care. All right, thanks, guys. All right, appreciate Bye. what you do. Hey, everybody. Again, that was Trey Fitzgerald. That was cool. That was way cool, man. Um, that was neat, like, on my end, where I haven't done the, the interviews like like you and Cindy have, um, having a guest on, and, uh, and hearing that other perspective kind of outside of us just riffing on what we think is, uh, is cool. And uh, Trey's a guy who's got a ton of, you know, knowledge about the, the organization and what goes on there so that was really neat to to get him on and have a chance to chat with him yeah that that was honestly so cool all right um shall we dig into everything else that we haven't already touched on i guess yeah what are we, what are, where, where are we at <laughs> we're we kind of hopped all over i sort of picked questions sure that i think would be i guess the most of the most relevant to Trey or questions mm-hmm. that Trey would like to answer the most. I did. I didn't want to ask him about Artunio, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> I know. I know. I kind of, I felt that lingering out there and it's like, no, nah, maybe we just better leave that. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> sore subject. <laughs> um, so now I guess, uh, part two of the show starts the normal show. Um, Hey, Roscoe, Skylar, Rick, Lucas, Trey, Carla, <laughs> everyone who listens. That's right. Um, so I guess it's starting at the top. So I know folks are going out to Portland this weekend. I know one of those, I, I think the person who's driving the van is a great friend of the show, Marcus Garner. Um, oh, and, nice. Yeah. And so when, when, when Trey was talking about folks who are new to, I guess, supporting soccer or women's soccer, I know Marcus is that guy and he and his family have just adopted it wholeheartedly. So that's super cool. Um, so safe travels to those folks. 
Um, obviously, look out for them. That's cool. Um, do we want to go into the Heather O'Reilly trade a little bit? Uh, yeah, you know, that was um, – it's so interesting how these things kind of keep – popping up and like we like we just discussed with Trey the whole mechanism of how things work in this league is I, I would say very different I mean you know MLS is already different from a lot of the other American sports on its own and then the women's side is different again from all of that so um you know yeah she would she would have been a great player to have but I think on the heels of of getting Kristen Press in um, and then you look at the rest of the team and, you know, what what is the system that's in place? Uh, does she even fit? And then if she's happier, you know, playing where she wants to go versus no saying, no, you have to play here. Um, you know, a happier player, I think we've seen in the past here in Utah, is, is always going to play better when their mind is on the game and not what is going on in life that they may not be super comfortable with so um it was kind of a necessary thing i would say um you know it's just how it works yeah agreed agreed um would have been nice to get a little bit more out of that because i mean trey was obviously at a very valid point he didn't don't know how much is in the gas there or how much Mm -hmm. how much tank is in the how much gosh it's it's been a long day (laughs) how much gas is in the tank um but We'll see. I think it'll be interesting to have Doniak, because I don't know exactly what to expect of her. I don't know how much of an upgrade she is from the folks already in the midfield, because she is, uh, you know, going to be competing with the likes of Desiree Scott or Gunny, you know, so I don't know. Um, On that note, though, something that Trey brought up that I hadn't even thought about is expansion drafts, and that terrifies me. I didn't even think about that. But that's definitely going to be a thing. So I guess building depth is important. And I guess that's also another reason why uh, the Academy coming over, hopefully, um, I guess there's some, um, I guess, sponsorship or intermingling with UVU that's eventually supposed to happen. So that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, the thing about Doniak, though, is, is like, I mean, I know she's hurt right now, um, but I mean, she is a she was a teammate of Brittany Ratcliffe at Virginia for the same four years um, that, that Brittany was there and was the, the school's leading scorer. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of an indication of, you know, we love Brittany and think she's a great attacking player. Mackenzie is uh, an even more prolific scorer. So when she when she gets her knee rehabbed and which I I I've, I mean, I don't know, maybe I should still be a little, you know, wary of that. But the, the women that I've seen go through ACL tears and come back and still play just as well, if not better than they did before they were hurt. Now they get them and I'm like, oh, yeah, she'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But, um, you know, if she's if she's somebody that's in the long term plans for this club, then um We'll, we'll have her rehab and we'll start up next season probably with, with her in the camp and, and see what she can provide. Um, yeah, expansion draft, though, that is one of those, like, it, it still bugs me that the rosters are so small for NWSL teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're talking about two players more than a match day roster yeah. is all they have. And then now you're going to tell me that a team is going to come in and start cherry picking out of 
Like that, that's our that's our whole team. Who are you going to take? And you, and you don't want to lose anybody, especially as we as we get so attached to them. But we will, you know. I guess I have to be. I guess I have to be a, a grown up and say that the expansion will help the league long term. And if it's a solid club that has support, then you know they'll it'll be good for those players. It'll be good for the whole thing. So yeah, it's going to happen. And we'll just have to deal with it when it comes. For sure. Um, another part of that that I didn't really think about, and I mean, I don't you know don't mean to toot the horn of the Royals, but like the facilities that our players have are amazing, and the community response has been amazing. And obviously, you hope to see that more with other clubs. But you gotta kind of. I was thinking about this the other day. You gotta kind of feel bad for like a Brook Elby who's like going to Chicago, and I, I don't mean this in like a demeaning way, but you get this sort of like royal treatment. And then it's back down, and I mean, who the hell knows what's going on with Chicago? Um, because we didn't we didn't talk about this on the show, but it was pretty evident that uh, Sam Johnson had actually requested a trade last year. That's four players who have requested a trade, and so there's just instability around the league. And so to move from something that's promising and stable to something that's unstable has got to be kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, you you wonder how much of that went into why Kristen Press didn't feel like she would be comfortable moving from Chicago to Houston, and and I've heard things about the Houston kind of the environment they work and live in, and and then have to go play. I mean, both of those cities have the benefit of playing in the major league soccer stadiums that are that are in those cities, but then it's where do you train? What kind of locker rooms do you have? And all of that stuff. Um, which which we definitely have a kind of a a leg up on everybody else here in Utah. So for sure, for sure, it's it's interesting. And you know, it's weird because the league is so fragile. I mean, we. I mean, this is me personally, but you go from one week cheering against Sky Blue, and now for the rest of the season, you know, unless they get too close, I'm going to be wanting to cheer for a team like Sky Blue because their attendance has gone down dramatically. Obviously, they're not playing well. You know, it's like you don't want to see franchises go under. Right. And, and and that's one of the – I mean, that always frustrates me as a sports fan in, in general too is I, I understand the, the perspective of everybody loves a winner and it's more – it's absolutely more fun to go to a game and watch your team win. Um, I sat through uh, a lot of Utah Jazz seasons. My dad and I had season tickets, and they were they were good, kind of while I was in high school. And then in the years after that, they they tailed off a little bit. And we we watched them get blown out a ton. And to me, it was always fun. I still had fun. I was at a game. I thought it was cool. I, I liked. I'm I'm such a supporter that I want to be there no matter what. And I'll, I always say I'll watch Real Salt Lake or the Royals or whoever get you know. Seven nothing loss, and I'll sit there until the final whistle blows, and I will clap for my team and say, "Well, thanks for coming out and playing at least, you know, because otherwise I'm I don't even have a soccer team to watch." So, um, you know, I I always think attendance should be high all the time, no matter what, and I guess we just have to build that desire in the fan base to be there uh, for for any game. For sure. For sure. Um, do we want to move on to this Ashley Hatch, a volunteer assistant coach at UVU thing? That was that was an interesting thing to see. Um, that, that's pretty cool. Um, 
you know, to, uh, to see her, uh, you know, and, and they're kind of lucky that, um, you know, I know some, some of the WNBA players do a similar thing with college basketball because the, that league plays in the summer and then college basketball is in the winter. There's no real overlap there. So they can play all summer and then go coach a team in the, in the fall and winter, uh, which is neat to see. And so this, this looks like a similar situation that when, um, the win hat actually gets done playing for the spirit at the end of this year. Uh, she can come back home and uh, play where she near where she went to college at BYU and, and coach local soccer. Um, and it's interesting in the light of, you know, developing facilities down on the UVU campus that may eventually be tied into uh, development for the Royals. Um, if she's coaching in that kind of system down there, um, if there's any plans to make her part of the family. For sure. For sure. I think she'll be, I think she'll wear gold by the start of next year. I'm going to come out with that hot take. Hoping for We were right about Chris and Press. Well, that's true. Uh, Maybe we, uh, maybe we know things other people don't. Just kidding. Maybe Without really knowing that we know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think at least the secret ingredient for me is to do research, do digging, make bold statements, and hope that the universe comes back to you in a good way. <laughs> there you go. Um, so do we want to – I guess we'll talk about Seattle first. It seems like so long ago. Cause... Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, I and it, it dawned on me too um, that – we didn't even – we're kind of doing things totally backwards because now we're recapping both games. And then on last week's show, we only talked about Seattle and didn't even mention the Sky Blue game except kind of in passing. Yeah. So um, we'll have to make sure we're aware of uh, the uh, the two-week games in the future. But, um, but yeah, uh, that Seattle game was uh, was interesting in a lot of – in a lot of ways. Um you know, Kristen Press's first game, and I was I was not surprised that she started. I was surprised she played the whole game. Uh, we, we had the questions about how does she adjust to, um, you know, from playing in Chicago and Sweden to playing at altitude, um, and who knows if she's just super awesome and tough or, or what, but she looked like she had no issues to me running around for 90 minutes, yeah. and then... Um, you know, she she had some really good shots, um, and and actually, interestingly, it was it was uh, Matheson and Gorey had those shots from distance at the beginning of that that were um, that were different to see. Um, and I, I was trying to decide if the the fact that they had chances to shoot from that far away was because the defense opened up more because you have to be so aware of of where Kristen Press is. Um, but um, the one, the, like the one, well, besides that, it, it probably should have been a win and ended in a in a draw. Um, I was just noticing how uh, you know Press is a player who wants to run at the defense as as hard and fast as she can, and she's she's got that great striker mentality that she feels like she can beat everybody on the field all by herself if she has to, uh, um, and of course you hope that she doesn't have to. But um, the the Royals, it, it was like, and, and you can't blame them for having maybe like three practices with her, and then you know learning how to apply that in a game. But there were so many times she wanted to just 
cut loose and run, and nobody got her the ball. And she had to hold up a run to, to come back on side and, and build the, the attack up with the team, um, which that was one of my big frustrations after that game was just that they, they didn't look at, they had it all put together yet, but oh, that's, that's pretty much what I thought of that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and this, this overlaps with the sky blue game as well. Um, but so two things sort of linking them both together, Katie, Katie freaking Bowen. How about that? Oh man. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's just the, um, you know, she she got called in to kind of take over as a fullback after uh, in Chicago with with Brooke Elby gone. Um, I was not sure what they would do there. I didn't know if that meant that Mira Montez was going to was going to be starting games now. Um, you know, with with Kelly O'Hara still hurt, you've got to you've got to come up with something. Um, I don't know why, but but Katie Bowen didn't even enter my mind. As um, I, I'm still so stuck in thinking of that for New Zealand, she plays center back that mm-hmm. I think, Oh, well she has to play center back. But, um, but Laura is a head coach for a reason and I'm not. So, um, you know, putting her in Chicago and then going forward into, I mean, that, that Seattle match and, and then it carried even forward into the sky blue. She's, she's just everywhere. Um, uh, she is chasing down balls. And, and, and one thing I, really like especially if you're going to play kind of the style and tactics that the royals want to play a fullback when they get the ball if they turn up field and see space they've got to be ready to you know pass into it dribble into it whatever it is but the ball has to come up into the midfield to bring the attack forward and and katie has been so impressive doing that the last couple of games and um and that's good to see because I I want her to continue growing and being a fantastic player because I think she is. Um, I just think we misused her at the beginning of the season trying to get her to play that central midfield role. Um, so I'm super happy with her yeah. right now. I mean, she was going one-on-one with Michelle Betos. Like, like dang. I, yeah. I, I am amazed, and I'm excited to see more of that. Although... I don't know how you feel about this, but I do think that when Kelly's healthy, I think that I would like to see her at right back or on one of a fullback in one of those spaces and not like a winger. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think so too. I think, I think at this point she's kind of become more known as a defender than as a forward. It, it worked when we, when we moved her up there earlier in the season uh, right before her injury, and I liked the way the team looked with her in that attacking role. Um, the luxury of having Kristen Press on the team now means you don't have to do that anymore. Um, and we we've seen, you know, what's really been amazing to me since Press has joined the team is the number of formations and and kind of where people are on the field within those formations. Uh, the team has gone through I, I've lost track of the variations of where people are now and uh, because she, she she fills a space and a role in a way that uh, you get maybe a little more flexibility with your team you know against Seattle they started out in a four three three and then at one point 
um, Katrina Gorey dropped off the front line and came back into the midfield and left Press and A-Rod up top alone as, as two strikers. And then uh, we had a four, four-man uh, midfield uh, with, with Desiree Scott and Gunny in the middle and Gorey and Matheson out on the wings, which was cool. And then Press was changing sides and... Um, you know, and then against Sky Blue, um, you know, uh, Harvey's subbing in uh, somebody who's normally a defender into the midfield uh, when when Corsi came on, and then putting Torsness in at fullback, and then shifting her up to forward when when Katie Stengel came out of the game. I mean, that's such a luxury for a coach to have um, our, our tactical options and personnel options, and uh, getting O'Hara back and solidifying the defense that way is it just makes the whole attacking half of the team I think even better agreed agreed um also this is a side note I totally realized that this is actually episode 22 not 21 and I feel like the oh. biggest idiot oh well I'm the one who said it oh well that's okay <laughs> just listen it doesn't matter the numbers don't matter people just listen yeah, to the yeah. show yeah, yeah. And, the, the numbers don't good. matter. Just pretend like our jokes relate with the numbers, <laughs> even if they're off. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Um, another thing about those two games, I am beyond amazed with Kristen Press. You knew she was going to be good, but, I mean, she was not – I mean, it wasn't that long ago when she was with the U.S. Women's National Team at the Riot – and then traveling to Cleveland, and then back to Sweden, and then back here, and then now in Utah. And for her to go 90 minutes, both games, with altitude, my brain is literally blown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, that's uh, that's just a, you know, it says a lot about her as a player and, and, and as an athlete, what she's capable of doing, how she, how she trains, uh, what her fitness level is, and then you know her, like I said before, just her, her determination, and and one thing that really improved, and and I think can only get better the longer this team plays together. But from the Seattle game to the Sky Blue game, you saw the the rest of the team being more aware of, um, you know, they weren't always successful through balls, but they were trying them. She when she had a mo- time when Press had a chance to run. Uh, they were trying to get that ball to her and, and let her get in and attack. But also something that, that Press herself did a lot better in the Sky Blue game compared to the Seattle game was look for her teammates. Um, I, I heard complaints and even had some of my own that she seemed very selfish against Seattle and tried to do too much on her own. Um, and who knows why? You know what's going through her head. Maybe she thinks, you know, I got to make this first impression on my new fan base, on my new team, or maybe she just didn't feel comfortable with her teammates yet, didn't know what's possible, and and wasn't getting them the ball. But that that changed by the Saturday uh, in a big way. You know, she she would get the ball and then just immediately look and think, okay, I will pass this if there's a chance, and then if there's not, I'll I'll figure something out. Um, so it's just it's going to be really cool to see this team move forward and see how they continue to adapt to each other, uh, 
and and play to play you know play really well together. For sure, for sure. Um, let's see. So we'll move on a little bit. So there's another question from Chris. Um, so he says, like Ryan, I sit in section 35 and every game I've been hearing comments, not to stereotype, but mainly from older men ragging on our players. It's been question. It's been comments about Katie Stengel not being fast enough or to play forward or the constant questioning of the team, passing it around the back line, etc., etc. I feel like I hear complaints at RSL games, but not to this extent. What do you think about that? Um, I, I wonder if I'm one of those people that he's heard, uh, um, cause I've certainly, s- cause I, cause I've said it. In fact, you know, I sit a couple of seats down from a good friend of mine from high school. Uh, I, I convinced him to get season tickets cause he, he liked how excited I, I did what we were just talking about with Trey. At least I got one person, uh, so far, um, that you know, and 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 he he asked me during the game. He said, "Why does Katie Stengel seem like she's always offside?" And, and I said, "Well, I said I'll just be honest. Katie isn't the fastest forward in in the league. I I don't know that. I mean, maybe I'm way off, but I don't even know if she would disagree with that. Um, I've I, I've seen her play before. Like I, I know how she's played with with Bayern in the past, and I've I've seen." highlights of her playing when she was here with with the breakers and with the spirit um her game isn't you know blowing past the defense with her speed and and scoring she's a she's a hold up you know kind of traditional number nine striker yeah uh, she's a target forward might... so what she's a target forward you know, she yeah, doesn't have ab- to be absolutely super fast. you you want to get her the ball either with the chance to shoot like like the ball that press got to her uh, on Saturday that was fantastic. You know, you've either got to put it right at her feet and let her get a shot off or you feed it into her and she looks for a chance to help a teammate score kind of a thing. Um, I, I don't think it's a negative that she's that kind of forward at all. I, I wasn't necessarily meaning to, if that's what he heard was, was my conversation and I thought I'm, I'm ragging on her. She's one of my favorite players. I just think that, you know, that's, that's always a trick with any soccer team is timing that run just right. Um, and you know, it, it's hard to blame a forward who is trying to get a jump on a defender for taking that, you know, turning and taking that step a little early. If the ball doesn't come when you make your run, then you're offside. And it's, it's not always any one person's fault. So, um, you know, I, I hear, I don't know that I hear anything negative anymore at, cause I sit in one of the most vocal sections in for RSL games in section 35 is the same place. And, uh, no, nobody at the RSL games is shy about saying this player's awful. Why do they do this? Questioning tactics, mm-hmm. thinking they know more than Mike Petke. They're they're totally okay with that. So um, I don't know that it's any worse at Royals games. Maybe we just hear it more because there's fewer people around us. Yeah, that's probably the uh, point. I don't know. Yeah. Although, I mean, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's this occasional. I mean, the idea that, like, oh, you know, like, female sports, they're not real athletes, like, or, you know, 
they're not as good as men. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if a little bit of that seeps in, but I definitely don't think that's predominant. I think you're definitely right about, um, at least for people who attend games, I think you're definitely right about it, not, not being as many people. And I think there's a lot of excitement about the Royals because it's, you know, a new franchise. So I think people are willing to be more critical. But, I mean, I'm sure outside the stadium there's definitely that, you know, like, they're not real athletes. I'm sure that that seeps in and it's horrible, but, you know, whatever. And I'm sure you'd probably agree with that. Sure. And, and you know, that's – I think we are a little bit victims of – even at this point in the, in the season, we – we had so much hype about this club. We started seeing the players they were signing, the trades that were made. We saw what the roster looked like and thought, this team's going to be unbeatable, going to score a ton of goals, they're going to be winning everything, and the, the cha- they might as well just hand us the championship trophy now. Um, and then as we've kind of seen them go through what you might call their growing pains mm-hmm. um, as a team – we've had to adjust our kind of what our uh, expectations are maybe a little bit, but in the back of our mind, there's probably still a little bit of that. They're better than this. And we want to see, it's like, why are you passing around in the back when we know you could be going forward and attacking? And the hard thing about that from being a fan is you don't know what the players are feeling. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what the coaches are telling them to do. That might be the strategy that Laura wants out of them in that moment. Um, although it's not hard to tell with Laura because she's either just standing there or she's dancing and jumping around and you can hear her <laughs> screaming from the other side of the field. Um, so um, I just think it's uh, it, there might be just a little a little perception difference there into what we're expecting. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, shall we move on to the next thing? Okay. Cool. So Ian has some comments on fan culture. Uh, four points. One, it would be cool if everyone stood for every FC corner kick, no matter what side. I agree with that. Um, that would be cool. Two, it would also be cool if people didn't start leaving in the 80th minute and encourage people to stay. I also agree with that, and I hate being the person who – had to leave at one of the earlier games, but I was literally about to bomb it. But yeah, stick around, oh, folks. Sure, and that's you know that's one of those frustrating things to me. Like, um, I hate traffic too, but don't get me wrong. But it, you know, yeah, you're up three one at the end of a night, and everybody's oh we got this, it's okay. Um, maybe they haven't watched enough soccer. Stuff changes at the end of games. Um, you know, you never know who might tie a game, who might win a game late. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how to fix that one because people are going to do what they want to do. Oh, and yeah, if they don't, sure. if they aren't the kind of people that stay that, for a whole game, then they're not. That's just, that's something my dad kind of instilled in me that it didn't matter how bad, you know, whatever sport, baseball, basketball, didn't matter. We, we bought tickets. That meant we were going to watch the whole game, whatever it took. Overtime, we didn't care. Um, you stay until it's over. Um, so I don't know how to get other people to do it, but that would be nice. Yeah. I mean, I think we have sort of a, a unique reward at the riot, and this is actually point three. Um, mm-hmm. but, but by saying to the end of the game, you obviously Gunny leads the Viking clap, 
And I think, frankly, being within 40 feet of Gunny John's daughter and a bunch of other people is probably worth the price of admission, at least for me. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's point three. And honestly, it was, it was so funny with the drum. I feel bad. Oh, that was but hilarious. The drummer guy didn't know what was going on. And so she just like took the stick and just whacked it. God, yep. I, I love it. I love that it. Was, I love that was fan- yeah, that was great. I, I immediately got my video up on my phone and thought, oh, this is worth capturing yeah. for sure because that was that was just too great and and that goes back to what we were just saying earlier about how do we get those you know that's something that, that the the that drum line whoever they are on any night you have to know what's going on at that point of a game so that you're ready for that because that that almost broke that, that little vibe if she hadn't gone over and done that like i don't know what would have happened yeah uh, they were setting up for fireworks and they were they were trying to um you know, they they were doing all this other stuff and it's like, no, we have a celebration to do. Like you have to get this right. Um, so it was good to hear from Trey that really, I think, you know, I think the supporters groups need to be aware that you, they don't need to wait for somebody's permission. Just go talk to them. Maybe before the game, grab somebody in that group and say, look, here's what we need you guys to do. And this is what the expectations are and have that dialogue. Um, but yeah, stick around people. You're going to miss some cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my friend that sits down the aisle from me, um, he, he needed to get home, but he waited, uh, to make sure if they were going to do that, he wasn't going to miss that. Cause that's, that's such a unique thing. And it's a thing I love the, the fan team interaction, um, makes soccer special. So oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and going back to another thing about, you know, the drum line, and I don't mean to, you know, like rag on these people. And I realize that I am, but I mean, I think the point needs to be to getting across. And I think it, it becomes hard for those sort of interactions to happen because sitting close enough to them, you notice that it is a unique group of people every time they come. And that gets mm-hmm. frustrating, but also like there was this one kid and he was just dicking around on his phone, taking videos of other people, like half the game. And I don't know, it's just like, it's in women's soccer where, especially the players who come international, where they'll have two, three hundred people come to their games, supporters cheering their name is a big deal. Hearing their name being chanted is motivating to everyone, but to our players, like, it's a big deal. So, to especially in the second half when they're coming in the direction where the majority of the folks are who are chanting, you know, on the, on the North side of the stadium, it's a big deal for folks to hear that. So it's really annoying when you're wanting to do chants and they're just doing these rehearsed drum things. But at the same time, you know, the capo or I are trying to get eye contact with them to be like, Hey, can we like tone it down or stop a little bit? Cause it's a corner kick. So can we get our chant in? You know, mm-hmm. um, anyways, I'll stop, I'll, I'll stop, uh, ranting about that, but that brings us to point four, uh, that Ian has. So be loud, be proud. Don't worry about hurting people's feelings or drawing attention to yourself. It might be uncomfortable for the first couple of minutes, but you'll get over it. Um, and I, I kind of relate to that. Honestly, like I'll try to start chance and if it doesn't work by the first time, like I'll probably stop, um, because it does get super awkward. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, be loud, be proud, because it's cool to be in that environment. Um, it, you know, builds community. And also, like, it means a lot to the players. Um, the Royals um, 
have scored the vast majority of their home goals in the second half. Well, I guess maybe that's different after the three goals in the Sky Blue game. But, like, why do you think that is? I mean, I know it's sort of correlation causation, but I guarantee you the fact that they're running towards the supporter section and they have that chanting in the second half plays a part of it. I guarantee it. Even if it's a little bit. And, you know, an interesting thing I heard after Saturday was that somebody, um, Rick, who, who makes the two pole banners, had one for Samantha Johnson, and he was holding it up at the end of the game, and he noticed Skyler kind of nudge Sam and point down there and, hey, look, there's a banner for you. And she kind of giggled, and you could tell she just had that almost embarrassed, like, oh, my gosh. These people who have known me for all of two games put this huge thing on canvas, my face and yeah. my name, and I that's what I mean to them. I can't believe they did that. And you, you could tell it meant something to – like who knows if she's ever had anything made for her like that ever mm-hmm. in her career as a soccer player. And that's the level we're going to. So yeah, you can't you can't think for a second that there's not something in her mind that goes – these people, like, I'm going to give, like, if I, even if I feel like I'm going to die, I'm going to run that last three feet and, you know, make a saving tackle or something because, man, they, these people care. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, chant, people. Let's, yeah, chant. Yeah, some of the best ideas come up, come from just a random person in the fan. You sing a song or you get an idea and it catches on. Uh, some of the best stuff I've heard in the RSL games are we just get a crazy idea one night and somebody tries something and we go, you know what? That was fun. Let's do that. Um, the chance when um, Sab- when uh, Sab Barrio, he was on the team and we had a chant for him when he scored. And we've it's really been easy to turn to Savarino now. So we, we keep that same cadence alive and it's, it's just a fun feel. It was just somebody's random idea one night. So – yeah, try things out. Try and get your section involved because um, when a chant starts to carry around the stadium, uh, that's a cool thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. It was cool that the wave was going, too. That was like, interesting. I'm, I'm not the fortunate. biggest fan of the wave anymore. I, I don't, like, I don't know. But, I mean, if it, if people are excited and, it's, and it gets going, and I think to keep it going around a, a stadium that had a whole south end where there were no people in it, yeah. um, that it kept jumping that big gap of, of crowd and circling back around four or five times. That was, was neat. Yeah, it was neat to see. Um, so thanks, Ian. Those are some pretty great, great comments you got in. I think so most of the other stuff um, – the other questions that were there here, I'll just check Twitter real quick. Um, but my understanding, let's see, is that most of the questions that came in were sort of answered or overlapped with what Trey said. I think so. So sweet. Um, uh, so do we just want to do a quick preview of Seattle, I guess? Uh, no, Portland this week. Oh, duh. It's Portland, then Seattle. Portland on Friday, Seattle, um, yeah, after the midweek. Uh, yeah, well, this is going to be interesting because we've, we've been up there once already, um, and that didn't go well for the Royals that first time around. But 
Christian Press changes things, um, the way the team is playing, the confidence is different, fighting for playoff spots against, you know, Portland's a team that we're in contention with for that, that mid of upper middle part of the table. Um, so it, it, it's an important game and they're, they're still as good as they've been all year. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one to watch because, um, there's a lot going on and, uh, it's a different team for the Royals now. So, uh, hopefully we can get up there and, you know, get a, get a positive result because, this stretch, I think, is is a big one. Playing playing in Portland and Seattle before coming home for two home games, um, it and 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 one of those is against Seattle too. Um, play them twice in a span of two weeks. So, yeah. uh, important to just be strong, be solid in these two matches, and and get positive results because points are starting to become a premium. Agreed. Agreed. Um. So. Christine Sinclair leads the league in both assists and goals with seven goals and five assists. Um, and on top of that, she's not even in the top five in terms of shots taken, mm. even though she does lead the league in goals. So right. that's going to be something to watch out for. She burned us last time, made us pay. Um, so we're going to have to be very, very careful, I think, defensively. I think a 0-0 draw in Portland is, I think that's acceptable, honestly. For sure. Or, or 1-1, you yeah. know, if, if, um, if that comes, if it comes to it. But, uh, yeah, a draw would be a fantastic night. Yeah. Uh, it could get a bit chippy, the game, um, Thorns are second in the league in terms of conceding the most uh, yellow cards, so uh, we could see something there. Um, but I think it'll be it'll be a good game. But you know, like you said, points are precious. The test is really on now to you know to finish in that top four. And really, there's at this point there's only you know three of those three of those spots are really available because you know the courage have run away with it. Pretty much first place, yeah. Yeah. Um, so chasing that, but I think we can do it. I definitely think we can do it. Um, but, and I think we'll see, I think we'll definitely see more of a lineup that we're accustomed to, because obviously, um, you know, several folks were rested. Granted, you know, some starters did come in, like Rachel Corsi came in as a sub, um, again, in the game against Sky Blue. Um, but mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But I think we'll see the pretty consistent um, lineup that we've kind of grown accustomed to. For sure. Um, that said, we're, this is this is officially the longest podcast we've ever done. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Cindy is <laughs> here. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do we have anything else? Anything else we want to throw in? I think I, I think I'm good. All right. Again, everyone, thank you for listening to the Royals FC show. We really appreciate it. Um, Be sure to chant, make noise, be loud. It really does make a difference. Um, We're hoping to get some player interviews done pretty soon. Um, My week next week is pretty open, so I think we'll be able to get some of those done. Um, And as well as more folks in the FO. I'm going to try to get Carla on ASAP and Roscoe and Skyler still want to be on. Sweet. Um, And we have the Abby Smith interview, which will probably be out later this week or next week. 
Um, cool. So keep your eyes peeled. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.